Hi friends, my name is Kyle and I get to be the lead pastor of Friends Church Orange. On behalf of myself and our team and our entire church family, we are thrilled that you're choosing to listen to this message and invest in your relationship with God. We believe that he's gonna be speaking to you and inviting you to become more of who he created and designed you to be. So if there's anything we can do to serve you on that journey, we invite you to reach out to us. But for now, enjoy this message and listen for God's voice. Good morning, good morning, how are we doing? Good, all right, I'm gonna try and fit this iPad in this contraption, they told me it'd be easy, but here we are. Um, Guys, it is an honor, it is a privilege um, to be here with you all this morning. Um, uh, When Friends Church Orange was first planted down here in the circle, it was actually over where the taco stand um, and snooze were, and so it's just been cool to see what God has done through this building, through this church community, and the vibrancy that's been here. Uh, Now this morning, uh, we've got to get down to it. And so uh, we recently had something pretty big happen in our area. We had a sports team win something pretty big, right? I'm not talking about angels or ducks. I'm talking about the LA Rams. Is anyone an LA Rams fan in the house? Maybe a couple? Okay, that proves my point. Don't worry. So the, the Rams won the Super Bowl, the biggest cultural moment we have in sports in America every single year. Dominates ratings. Everyone watches it. Even if you loathe football, you will watch the commercials because the Super Bowl is that big of a deal. Now, the Rams just won it. Huge deal. So you would think the city of Los Angeles and the fans of the LA Rams would want to celebrate that really big deal. However, one of the stories that came out after the Super Bowl parade Uh, was that they didn't, that they didn't at all. And so take a look at the screen. This is what their Super Bowl uh, parade ended up looking like. Kind of sparse, right? Not too many people there. Kind of a bummer. Now, to let you know, the internet is undefeated. And so people outside of LA actually don't like LA, so they'll make fun of them. And so this is a tweet. Dozens in attendance for the Super Bowl parade. Dozens of people. LA, you're so committed to the Rams. The next one is they successfully located every Rams fan just for this parade. Literally no one showed up to celebrate the LA Rams win the Super Bowl, this big deal. Now to give you some context, this is what a normal Super Bowl parade looks like, right? Almost a million people in February in cold cities celebrating. And so this is Philadelphia a couple years ago when the Eagles beat the Patriots. The next one is Kansas City when they won the Super Bowl a couple years ago. Pretty insane how many people showed up in the middle of winter in Kansas City to celebrate not 70 and sunny in LA. You see, why didn't people show up for this? Oh, why didn't people show up for it? I think, well, the Rams are over here celebrating by themselves, unfortunately, kind of a bummer. (laughs) Well, I think there's a myriad of reasons why Uh, Rams fans in the city of LA didn't exactly show up. You see, Los Angeles has tons of things to do. You've got the beach, you've got the mountains, you've got entertainment, uh, you've got movies, you name it. There's tons of things for you to do and take up your time. What also might be the case is that the Rams have only been back for a couple years now, so they don't really have a grasp on the market or the heart of the city. Or maybe The city of LA actually is tired of winning championships. They won with the Dodgers and the Lakers back in 2020. And so maybe they just don't even wanna win anymore and celebrate. Maybe they're out on sports at this moment. Or maybe, just maybe, they didn't care enough to celebrate their team. 
They're not invested enough to celebrate alongside them. They weren't willing to sacrifice a little bit of their day to celebrate alongside their team and with their fans. Now, I believe Rams fans in the church, Big C Church, aren't too dissimilar, and I'm not just talking about church attendance. You see, the Rams and their fans had the biggest reason to celebrate this year. They won the biggest game, the biggest cultural moment. It's a huge deal. They had the biggest and best reason to celebrate with their team in this parade, but yet they didn't show up. In the same way, we as Christians have the best reasons to celebrate our faith every single day. But yet the Big C Church, what we're known mostly for, is what we're against, what or who we don't like, or maybe not actually being invested enough in what we preach, or being hypocritical. Instead of being vibrant, excited, humble, loving, gracious people that impact this world for Jesus Christ. And so this series we're in is called The Good Life, where we've been diving into 1 Peter, written by the Apostle Peter, learning why the good life is actually a life with God. And this morning in particular, we're diving into why the redeemed life is a life of celebration and a life of sacrifice. And so if you've got a Bible handy, turn it to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you don't own a Bible, our church really wants you to own one. And so in the back, you can grab a Bible or whip it out on your phone or take a look at the screens. We're going to be diving into 1 Peter 2, 4. Now, before we dive in, I just got to let you know up front, this passage of scripture we're reading is a Bible nerd's dream. Every single line in this thing, every single thing Peter says is actually a reference to the Old Testament. And so there's tons of rich theology, super important connections that we simply don't have the time for this morning. We are not a seminary classroom. Um, I want to encourage you though, this will stoke and encourage your faith to look up a resource like the Bible Project. How many of us have heard of the Bible Project before on YouTube? They have free videos that are done by brilliant people and brilliant artists to portray what's happening in the Bible and the story and they show us that the Bible is actually one long story that references itself pointing to Jesus for the hope of the world. And so if that interests you at all from what we're talking about today, I wanna to encourage you dive into that because that's gonna make your faith a little more deeper. And so 1 Peter 2, four through five and nine and 10, they say this, as you come to him, Jesus, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you church are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you received mercy. And so the point that probably sticks out most to us, the part of this, is all the names that Peter gives us, the church, right? He calls us living stones, holy priesthood, chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession. 
Why? And why is that actually worth celebrating? You see, these names, like I said a little bit earlier, are all references to the Old Testament, the Jewish people, the Israelite people, God's chosen people. And one of the most famous biblical scholars we have in America today named Scott McKnight, he writes, there is no passage in the New Testament that more explicitly associates Old Testament terms for Israel with the New Testament church than this one. And so again, our question is this, why is this worth celebrating? You see, if you know anything about the Bible, you know that the Jewish people are used as examples of people who failed over and over and over and over again at following God and loving others. And on top of that, doesn't the New Testament actually do something different than the Old Testament? Isn't God doing something a little bit different through Jesus than what he intended through the first half of our Bibles? So in order to stand, understand all of this, we have to summarize the Old Testament a little bit. So you see, God chose the Israelites through Abraham because of his faith in God back in Genesis 12. And God gives Abraham um, the opportunity to partner with him in order to bless all the nations of the world to come to know God and to come to know um, what it looks like to follow him. And so we track the Israelite story. They come out of Egypt. They're, they're freed from slavery. In Exodus 19, God makes a partnership with them again and gives them their purpose again. And God says, hey, you are going to be a royal priesthood for me in this world. You are going to love me and obey me and see that my way of life is good for you. And you're going to show the world, people of all nations, that this is what it looks like to follow me so that they can be in relationship with me. And like we said, the Israelites failed at this, right? Over and over and over again. And it eventually gets to the point in our Bibles where we see God's patience starts to wear a little bit thin with them. And so God, in all his just ways, sends the Babylonian empire to swallow up the Israelites and send them into exile. And the prophet Hosea narrates this and calls this motion. And he says, hey, you are no longer my people, and I am no longer your God. And so what's God's plan next? What's God's plan next to reach the world, to reach all the people of all nations, to experience him and live a life worthy of following him? Well, it's hinted at throughout the entire Old Testament. God sends himself, Jesus Christ, the savior of the world, to redeem our lives. He lives a perfect one. And his death, resurrection, um, conquering of death, redeems us from our sinful behaviors, our sinfulness as humans. And so Jesus shows us through his life that not only he's here to redeem us from our sins, but he also redeems our purpose. Jesus tells us, hey, your job it's just like the Israelites. You are to be holy priests, to show other people, other nations, what it looks like to follow me and to follow what it looks like to follow me. And so Peter takes this and Peter takes what Hosea said and flips it around a little bit. In verse 10 of what we read, he takes what Hosea said and changes it to, once you were not a people, but now you, the church, are the people of God. 
You see, we as the church have redemption from our sins because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But we also have a redeemed purpose in him to be royal priests, to reach the world for God. And so this reality for us is a reality worth celebrating. But on top of that, Jesus says, hey, it gets even better than that. Not only do you have this opportunity to partner with me, I'm actually going to give you my presence, the Holy Spirit to live within you, to help you move forward and to help you listen to my voice and to help you change, navigate this world and love others as I would love them. You see, the Christian faith isn't a faith that's dead like a rock on the ground. Peter says, we are living stones with the presence of Jesus living inside of us, the Holy Spirit, so we can get God's guidance and God's wisdom um, to reach the rest of humanity. You see, this reality is worth celebrating. That the God of the universe, the creator of all things, loves us so deeply that he would die on a cross for our sins and that he would give us this holy responsibility to show the world what it looks like to follow him and to bring them into relationship with him. And so for us, aside from spending time with God through scripture reading and prayer, how can we practically as the church live out this responsibility to celebrate our faith and help the world experience this God? Well, the imagery that Peter uses is that of the priest. See, verse five says, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, the priests of the Old Testament led a sacrificial life. Their life was not normal like the rest of the Israelites. Instead, they would offer sacrifices for the sins of their people to be in relationship with God. Their life looked differently as holy priests. And what God is getting at is that we are called to do the same. And this theme is found throughout the entire New Testament. This isn't just like a one-off passage. You see, Paul writes in Romans 12, 1, we are to live our lives as our bodies as living sacrifices for, God, for God's purposes. In Philippians 4.18, we read about sacrificially giving gifts uh, or money for the spreading of the gospel. And in Hebrews 13.16, we read that we are to do good and share our possessions for the sake of others. And all of that comes directly after the four gospels, the account of Jesus' life where he lives the most sacrificial life of all time. And what I believe God is getting at here is that we as Christians are called to be all in in our faith. We're called to, be, to follow the example Jesus has given us, to sacrifice bits and pieces of our lives, to put our skin in the game and be fully invested. You see, we celebrate our redemption through Jesus by making sacrifices and investing ourselves for the sake of of the world so that they would come to know him. And so what does it look like for us to celebrate and to sacrifice? If you know Pastor Kyle, you've probably heard him say a million times, what's God speaking to you? Can you hear God's voice right now? And I love that because it's a constant reminder to remember that God wants to speak to us today. 
in every single day. And so from an example from my own life looks like this. Way back in high school, going into my senior year, uh, my family actually moved across the country. A fantastic way to celebrate your senior year of high school, right? <laughs> Heading into that senior year, um, a year where you are supposed to celebrate with your friends, be excited about what's next, uh, be encouraged about having your easiest year of high school yet. But instead, moving to the Midwest from here, Orange County, uh, was, a, was a year that was probably the hardest of, one of the hardest of my life. Of finding loneliness, lack of purpose, uncomfortability in a completely different culture, all the things. It was probably one of the worst years, worst experiences of my life. And so I was left with questions like, God, how could you do this? God, what does this look like for me? Like, I, I'm like suffering this year, you know, suffering this year. Like, it's not great for me. And eventually, after about a year, my family had enough of the Midwest and we moved back here, which was an answer to prayer for sure. Uh, but as we were back, um, my prayer with God stayed the same. Like, God, what was that? That was a, that was a rough, rough year for me. And I don't really know what I'm going to do next with my future and what that's going to look like. And it was in that, those prayers, that I believe Jesus um, showed me the book of Job, which is a book in our Bible that's all about suffering. That's all about a theology of how we should view God in the midst of suffering. And I found that to be such an amazing answer to prayer, just diving into that book of the Bible. But what he also did is he also showed me and gave me the opportunity here at our church to start apprenticing in the student ministries department, which looked like a glorified volunteer. But God opened the door to show me that he's calling me into ministry. He showed me that he's giving me a redeemed purpose in this season. And so that was a major moment in my faith journey, seeing that through my struggle and through my pain that the God of the universe listened and answered my prayers, not only with a book of the Bible to help me understand like, hey, this is what you should understand about suffering, but also, hey, here's a redeemed purpose for your life. Now, a few months back, I decided to actually get a tattoo to remind me of that moment, those moments when God answered my prayers. And I'm not telling you from the pulpit to get a tattoo. If a pastor ever tells you to get a tattoo, please don't, please don't. But what I am saying is that I got this as a reminder to me to never forget how God answered my prayers in such a rough season of my life, to be a reminder to celebrate what God's done uh, for me, in a sense. And also as an opportunity for if someone were to ask, like, what's that about? That I can share with them that the God of the universe loves them and cares about them and wants to answer their prayers in the exact same way. Now, I'll be honest with you, this last week for me was a little tough. Uh, my responsibilities, my workload this week uh, kept piling and piling and piling up. Junior high ministry, we just launched summer camp registrations this week, which is a ton of work. I was teaching here, so I had to get ready for this message. Teaching somewhere else, had to get ready for that. I had seminary homework. All the things were piling, piling, piling up to the point where I got a text midweek of someone reminding me, hey, did you remember to do this? And in that moment, I sat on my couch and started crying. And if you know me, my wife has known me since we were 12. She can count on one hand how many times I've cried. <laughs> and so I sat on my couch just completely and utterly overwhelmed with my workload this week. And not even in a right frame of mind to ask God, like, hey, what is going on? 
And, and trust me, I know how cheesy and corny this sounds. But in that moment, I looked at what I'd permanently put on my body as a reminder of what God has done in my life, a celebration of his faithfulness a decade earlier. And immediately I was remembering God's faithfulness, God's love, God's provision, and God's answer to prayer. And in that moment, I had some of the best connection with God I've had in a couple weeks of just coming to him, surrendering to him, and reminding, being reminded of his faithfulness and his love and his passion uh, for me. You see, one of the main purposes of the act of celebrating is to remember something or someone that was good, extraordinary, helpful, you name it. And so for us, my question for you is simply this, how is God calling you to celebrate what he's done in your life each and every single day? What does it look like for you to celebrate your faith and remember what God has done for you? Maybe for some of you, you're journalers. And so this would look like waking up in the morning and journaling and writing down, hey God, you answered my prayer this day. God, I'm so grateful that you listened and answered this. Or maybe it's writing down, hey God, I am so grateful, Lord, that you forgive me of my sins and that you offer grace regardless of how I mess up. Whatever it looks like, how can you remember who God is and how he's worked and moved in your life? Or maybe it also looks like for celebration, inviting someone else into the party with you to celebrate alongside you. One of my favorite books or stories in the Bible is in John 4, where Jesus and the woman at the well come together and meet. And Jesus sees this woman and he crosses all social boundaries um, to meet her, to make her feel known, loved, cared for. And she walks away from that moment saying, I met God. I met the king of the universe who loved me regardless of my reputation in town, regardless of my status as a woman, regardless of whatever it was, the God of the universe met me here. You know what she did to celebrate her faith? She ran and told the entire town. She told the entire town about how Jesus met her in that moment and she experienced the king of the universe. And you know what the town did? The town met Jesus too. They ran over to Jesus and Jesus stayed two whole days in that town just meeting and talking with them. And I'm sure showing them that he is the God who loves them and cares for them. And one of my favorite parts of this story is that the townspeople say something to this effect to her. We came, we showed up to find Jesus because of your story, but we believed because we met Jesus. We came because of your story, because of you celebrating your faith, but we believed because we came face to face with the God of the universe who cares and loves me. And so this morning, who can you share or celebrate your faith with? Who is God putting on your heart to share what God has done in your own life? For sacrifice, oftentimes what we hold on to most is the very thing we need to lay down at Christ's feet, is the very thing that has a hold on our heart and is preventing us from being all in. And so for you, what does it look like for you to sacrifice something? Maybe it looks like time. Maybe it looks like offering up a little bit of your week to serve elsewhere or to serve here. Or maybe it looks like the most common example, money, your gifts, 
What does it look like for you to sacrifice a little bit, even in a tough season, to be fully invested into God's kingdom? Or maybe it's your own pride and not being embarrassed by worshiping God and sacrificing a little bit of that with your hands out, with your arms up, with your voice. Or maybe it goes with sacrificing a little bit of your own identity, that you would be welcoming and owning the identity of being a Christian, a follower of Jesus, a person of peace and love and kindness and grace, instead of fill in the blank, whatever else you've been putting your identity in. Or maybe, just maybe, there's a sin in your life that you need to sacrifice at the feet of Jesus. There's a sin in your life that's preventing you from being a holy priest and showing the love of Jesus wherever you're at to whomever you're around. What's one area of your life this week, today, in the future that God's calling you to sacrifice in? Now, as we close this morning, I've got something important to tell you. It's that not all Rams fans are bad. Not all Rams fans are bad examples of being poorly invested in their sports teams. I probably threw them under the bus a little bit too much. See, this week, or this last week, there is a letter from a Rams season ticket holder, and he sent it to the owner of the Cincinnati Bengals, the team that they just beat in the Super Bowl. And what he writes, I think, is super profound uh, for us to understand as followers of Jesus. It's a little long, but he writes this. To the Cincinnati Bengals, First off, let me tell you, whomever may be reading this, I'm an LA Rams season ticket holder. Now we can officially start. Congratulations on an amazing season your team had. Winning the AFC in a trip to the Super Bowl. Well done, great game. The reason I'm writing this letter is to say how impressed I was with how fans of the Bengals organization not only represented their team, but their city. I've had the fortunate experience of seeing many NFL games at SoFi Stadium cheering for my Rams, but also seeing on full display how fans of other teams behave in other stadiums. Sadly, I more often than not saw pretty disturbing behavior and antics not worthy of proper human etiquette outside or inside a stadium. I wonder what teams he's talking about. Sadly, I'm more often than not, oh, sorry, let me go on, not Bengals fans. The fans that traveled from Cincy were amazing. I engaged with numerous fans starting in the parking lot to the pregame activities, to waiting for the game, to actually watching it. This is where it gets good. I have never experienced such nice, kind, polite fans of the opposing team ever. I saw tears in Bengals fans' eyes and facial expressions that they couldn't believe they were even present at the game inside our stadium, a wonder of architecture that as residents of LA, we take for granted. I saw, listened, and became friendly with so many fans who were always open to conversation about football, the season, how they got tickets, and how long they're staying in LA, and of course, our famous LA traffic. I was shown pictures and videos of their kids on their cell phones screaming who day and even pictures of the views of their seats at their home stadium. And it was every single fan of the Bengals. I couldn't believe it. It was just so nice. Even after the Super Bowl, countless Bengals fans shook my hand and offered congratulations when the game ended. What? You want to shake my hand? You just lost the Super Bowl. I was taken aback. Didn't matter to Bengals fans. 
They showed absolute perfect sportsmanship and displayed courteous behavior I'll never forget. My Super Bowl experience was fantastic, not only because the Rams won the game, but watching the game with Bengals fans made it all the more special. I sincerely appreciated that. Hats off and much respect for your fans and your city. I can only wish more fans came to LA as great as yours. My second favorite team in the NFL is now the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, what if every person who came in contact with you or with the Big C Church said the same thing because of what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life? Because of the redemption you have received through Jesus? What if every single person who came across you would write a letter like that saying, hey, this person was so like Jesus and so pointed me to the God of the universe. I'm so very grateful for them. And so the Bible ends giving us a great hope that one day people of all nations on this earth will experience the love of Jesus Christ and that they'll put their faith in him and they will worship him as the king of kings that he is. How special is it that we get the opportunity to be a part of that? How special is it that we get the opportunity to live as holy priests with this redeemed purpose and this redeemed life in order for the sake of the world to understand and experience this Jesus that we know as God? See, we have a holy responsibility ahead of us to love others well and to point them to Jesus. You see, the redeemed life is a life of celebration and of sacrifice. What is God speaking to you about this morning? How is he wanting you to celebrate your faith each and every single day, to not forget what he's done for you? And how is he calling you to sacrifice a little bit, whatever it looks like, for you to be fully invested into his kingdom into making earth look like heaven one day. Let's pray. Jesus, God, we thank you for the good news that we have in in your word. God, we thank you, Lord, that you give us a hope for the future, Jesus. That people of all nations, of all tribes, of all tongues will come to faith in you and worship you as the king of kings, God. And we get the responsibility, the holy responsibility, God, to live as priests so that they can experience you, Jesus, today. God, I know you want to speak to each and every single one of us in this room through your Holy Spirit. God, and I ask, God, this week and this morning, God, would we be receptive to what you're telling us through a still small voice? What is it in our lives that we're holding on to a little too much that we need to sacrifice at your feet so that we can be fully invested, God, in your kingdom? And how can we be reminded of your faithfulness to us, your love, your grace, your peace, or the stories of you delivering us in our own lives? But how can we never forget what you've done for us, Lord? God, we're grateful for you. We love you so dearly, Jesus, and we pray, God, and wait on what you have to say for us this week. And everyone said, amen.